you know and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop I mean that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop yeah well you do have a nail in your head it is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way So I have to keep on talking till I can go Hey, good morning, everyone. Every time I see that video, it makes me happy. I don't know why. It's just a lot of fun. You know, if you were if you were to give that couple a grade on how well they were working through the communication issue, what grade would you give them? A what? A minus zero. Man, I would give them an A. Yeah, would you give them an A? I mean, the, the fact, you know, she's she's talking kind of with a feeling and he's uh, responding, you know, with like facts and then he kind of converts his way and says, okay, let me let me listen, you know. Um, it, it was meant to be sort of a parody about how things go. You know, there's kind of a, there's kind of an, un, I don't know if it's really a rule, but basically don't, when somebody comes to you with feeling and they're looking for a feeling response, don't try to respond with content. Uh, is the idea when somebody is um, don't answer I guess don't answer a feeling with a fact is the idea so here she is she's talking she wants to share some of her feelings he's bringing facts in of course it's kind of funny because the facts really would help her in this situation um, the reason why I brought this up is because we're in this series called uh, relationship rehab and, and really what it is is we're not we're not going down deep into theology although we we are touching on theology um, we're just trying to take a look at what are the things that we need in our relationships and if you are married here today um, this is meant to be helpful, give you practical ideas of, of things that you can do, you can implement, and hopefully it'll help your relationship. But there are a lot of people here who, who are not married. And, and so I've heard people say, well, I'm not married, and what about us? Well, well, actually, today I'm not even going to go into a passage of Scripture that deals with marriage really explicitly at all. It's just for anybody, for anybody who is a follower of Christ. See, all of these principles, they're really, for the most part, they're transferable. They're transferable to your relationships at work. 
they're transferable to other family relationships with brothers or sisters or with friends or, or school or, or, or whatever it would be. So that's really what we have been doing in this series. We've been taking a look just very practically at, at different things within relationships and specifically within marriage. But today I want to talk about, um, to take some time to talk about communication and fighting. Really essentially fighting fair. How do you fight fair? Um, all couples fight. How do you fight fair? Uh, because, well, th- that's what you've got to do. You've got to fight fair in marriage. If you don't fight fair in marriage, then you've got a problem within your marriage. And, and so um, most of us would understand this, that a successful marriage um, or an unsuccessful one depends on these two factors, communication and, and conflict. And one of the most valuable abilities that you can possess um, in any relationship is the ability to resolve conflict. Um, conflict, it's, in, it's inevitable. In every relationship you're, you're going to have or that you have, you have been through conflicts. Every one of us has been through conflict. We can think of conflicts at work. We can th- think of conflicts with our friends. Conflicts on vacations of all things. We, we go through them, and this is, is not a, it's, it's inevitable. But it's especially true in marriage. You have to know how to communicate and how to work through conflict in marriage. Because listen, it's, it's wonderful. If you can communicate well at work, if you can communicate well at school, you can resolve conflict and handle conflict all throughout that. But you can't communicate well with your spouse. You don't resolve conflict well with your mate. Then that is a failure. What I saw up on the screen, although it was funny and I, and I love it, what are they doing? They're communicating. They're working through the conflict. They're, they're, they're at the, well, I was going to say they're at the table. They're at the couch together. But see, when you can't do that, that is when that part of that relationship becomes a failure. So today, if, if you're a follower of Christ, um, you're, you're a Christian, one area that God has said that he is at work in us is in how we talk with one another in how we work through conflict. And in comparison with what it used to look like before you, before you were a follower of Christ, unless you were, you know, three years old or something like that. Like if, if, you were, if you're 20 years old and, and you come and you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the way you handled relationships before is going to be very different from how God calls you to handle relationships now. There's a completely different set of rules now that you're following Jesus. And so here's, here's just a sample set. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to just look at a small section, Ephesians 4, 26 to 32. And he, and he gives us relational content here. Okay? And it's really how we manage things. How we manage um, different things that happen to us, to, to one another. And he, and he starts by saying, Be angry and do not sin. Do not, do not let the sin go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. 
You know, this passage, it's got so much in it. We're only going to kind of do a, a quick high overview scan, kind of looking down at the forests. There's so much that we could talk about, about every one of these individual issues, like how it says, be angry. Like, when are you supposed to be angry? Did you know there are times you're supposed to be angry? I'm not going to tell you when. We don't have time. Um, it says, do not let the sun go down in your eyes. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the other things, but we've got to do a quick scan. As I was reading through this and looking through all the different issues and relationships, um, this is one of the texts that, that I often go to when, when, um, whenever I get a chance to talk with couples for premarital mentoring or, or, or premarital counseling. This is one of the texts that, that, that we look through together. And as I was studying this text, I realized this last week that what we just read... Um, plays itself out in all sorts of scientific studies that are out there right now. I've read a number of just different scientific studies, behavioral studies, and what we just read, um, this, this, is, this is true for good relationships across the board. And so I thought what I would do is I would share one in particular that, that I heard about many years ago, and I really love the way that the, uh, this guy lays it out. He's, he's not a Christian. But what he does is he, he's just a behavioral scientist and he would study behaviors. He would take a look at couples and he would find out the things that they do, the things that lead to a good marriage and the things that lead to a bad, a bad marriage. His name is uh, John Gottman. And you can, all, you can go to his website. I think it's called Gottman, uh, Gottman.com. But he lists, three, or he lists four different kinds of traits, behavioral traits, that will actually just erode a relationship. It'll, it'll destroy a relationship. And while he was studying this, he, he found out that he had a 94% accuracy in predicting divorce for couples who had these four bad behavioral communication traits, if, if you want to call it that. And so he calls these four things, he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen of marriage, actually, is what he calls them. Uh, so you've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's in the book of, genera- uh, of generations of Revelation, book of Revelation, uh, where, where there are these four horsemen that, that really lay out the things that are yet to come in, in the end times. And he says that these four ways of interacting, they'll actually sabotage all your attempts to communicate with your spouse. And what will happen is over time, tension will rise, negativity will rise, it'll increase. And what happens is you end up becoming deaf to your spouse's attempts to make peace. They may be trying to make peace with you, but you don't hear it. You don't, you don't see it. You are totally deaf to it. And I just want to share some of these things, and I'm going to link this up with, with how they relate to Scripture, because see what God wrote 2,000 years ago for us? Um, people are just studying and finding out today, and it's like novel. And so I thought, well, let's, let's take a look at this as it relates to Scripture. So the very first... One that he lists is criticism. And we just really read about not criticizing, you know, just in, in, our, in our passage. But uh, there, there's a case study of, of, two, of two people. In a, they're a couple, Eric and Pamela. Is there anyone here named Eric and Pamela who is a couple today? Because it's not about you. Um, so when Eric and Pamela married fresh out of college, it soon became clear that they had, a, they had different ideas about finances. Pamela found herself complaining about Eric's spending habits, and yet as time passed, she found that her comments didn't lead to any change on her husband's part. Rather, something potentially damaging to their marriage soon began occurring, and instead of complaining about his actions, 
she began to criticize him. So there's a big difference between a complaint and a criticism. Um, complaining actually can be healthy if you do it the right way. If you, if you express something that you feel um, that there's a disagreement or there's an anger about something, you express that and, and you end up working through it, it actually can make your marriage stronger. So a, a good marriage isn't one without any resistance at all. A good marriage is knowing how to handle all of the resistance and all of the problems. But his definition of criticizing um, involves attacking somebody's personality or attacking their character rather than a specific behavior that bothers you. Um, so usually what happens is you're, you're attacking, you're, you're laying blame to the other person. Um, you're focused on the person, you're not focused on the problem, and you're, what you're implying when you criticize is that you're actually implying that they're defective. Uh, if anybody implies that you're defective, how does that make you feel? I mean, it may be true. If, if people were to imply that I'm defective, I would have to admit, yeah, that's true. But for somebody to lay that on me and to say, you're defective, that, that actually, it really hurts. And so criticism usually comes when, when you feel like, well, your spouse isn't listening to your, your complaints and, the, and they continue doing this, whatever this offending habit is, whether it's like spending money like with, with Pamela and Eric, or maybe it's how the household is run. Like sometimes you get couples together and one is, is a neat freak. And the other one is a slob. And the two together, they're not listening to each other. And one thinks it should be this way. The other thinks it should be this way. Or, or maybe it has to do with, um, you know, your, your work. And whether you're, work, you're at work all the time or you're bringing work home. Or maybe there's not enough work. Maybe that's an issue too. Or, or maybe it's kids. It's how you manage the kids. How you, how you want to raise the kids. And, and you're not listening to one another with that. But, but anyway, over time... You can gather quite an inventory of complaints. And so the difference between the complaining and, and criticizing would go something like this. So a complaint would be, we don't go out as much as I'd like to. Whereas a criticism would be this, you never take me anywhere. See, see the difference? One is we never get to do this. The other one is focused on the other person. It's you. You, you. you never take me anywhere. A complaint would be, I'd like to spend more money on the appearance of our house. That would be maybe a complaint. A criticism would be, you're such a cheapskate. You don't ever want to spend money on things I want to spend money on. So, so it's healthy to air the disagreements. But... When it comes to your spouse's personality or, or character, um, when you say things like, well, you always do this, or you never do this, or, or maybe you would say, why are you always like this? Why are you so much like such and such? When you do that, that is actually a very destructive thing. And one of the interesting things that, that Gottman found out is that in general, women are more likely to pull this horseman into conflict. Um, out of the four horsemen, women do this one more often. Um, one that we'll see later, it's called stonewalling. Uh, that's the one that men pull into to, um, the relationship more often than, than women at that point. So, so let's just think about this. Let's just say your husband forgot your anniversary again. Um, yeah, don't do that <laughs> if you can help it, right? But there's two responses to that. One, one response can be, you know, you're so thoughtless. You always forget. Again, you. It's pointing, pointing at you. Instead, perhaps what you, you should do is you should say something like, listen, you repeatedly forget something that's important to me. Even though you tell me that you're not going to, you repeatedly do that. What are we going to do to resolve this? Criticism, 
versus complaint. So, so if you find yourself criticizing, and by the way, I think everybody does. I think every one of us uh, probably struggles a little bit with criticizing. And, and when we find ourselves doing this, there, there are two things that you have to do in order to destroy this habit, to stop it from moving forward. The first thing is that you've got to attack the, the problem, not the person. Don't attack the person. Attack the problem. You voice your feelings. You know, maybe you've heard people say this. Well, use, say, uh, use I statements rather than you statements. I remember hearing that, you know, in school growing up. You know, say things like, I feel this rather than you are that. But the idea is don't tear down the other person in the process of, of doing these things. Um, if you attack the problem, you make progress. If you attack the person, what's the other person going to want to do? They just want to attack you back, right? Or, or they're going to they're have to do something, and so you're, you're not going to really make progress. Second thing is you have to make it safe for your spouse to come and voice to you a, a complaint. This works in the workplace too, right? You have to make it safe to be able to voice a complaint within the workplace if something's not working right. But the same thing's true in marriage. Um, if, if somebody brings a complaint to you and you just attack them back right away, you just come right back at them, you're, you're not safe. This, this is not a safe place to, you know, you're not a safe person to come to. Or maybe you're not a person that attacks back, but you're a kind of person that justifies everything that you do. And so you sort of logic your way out of how you're right and they're wrong. And if that's something that you always do, you're not a safe you're not safe to come to. Um, I, I heard of a of a person who um, he every time his wife came to him and brought up a complaint or you know whatever it was, and he he would just be like, oh, I'm so sorry, oh, I'm such a bad person, and you know he, he would just he would just go down and you know in in smoke and ashes, and she would be left feeling like, ah, oh, I can't ever bring anything to him. Because he just, he just kind of falls apart whenever and we can't ever work through this and it wasn't safe. And see, he, what he was doing is in his heart of hearts, he was getting out of having to deal with his issues. So you've got to make it safe to, for the other person to come and to, to talk with you. And so the best thing that you can do in, in this time when somebody comes to you and then they bring a, a complaint to you, the best thing you can do is just try to slow down. Because, man, instantly you just want to you want to just jump right in, jump right back at the person. But if you can just slow down and you can say, okay, all right, I, I guess I haven't thought about that or maybe I didn't know about that. And this is the hardest part. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or maybe you can say, can you tell me more but be really gentle? <laughs> you know, something like that. I've, I've said that before because we all have these, you know, well, I shouldn't say all, but most of us do have, we're very easily bruised in our ego. We might have a really tough exterior, but, but man, it, when somebody gets in there, we're very tender when it comes to this. So, so this is something that I want you to do. If you're, if you're married, all right, or if you're in a relationship right now, um, one of the things that you need to do, maybe when you leave today, um, you need to ask your, your, your spouse, do I provide a safe place for you to bring complaints? Do you feel safe in coming to me with complaints or do you feel like you, you can't really do that? Um, that, that you don't feel safe with that. And then you have to listen. And if they say, no, I, I don't, then you need to take that to heart. If they say, I do, then, then, then great, you're, you're, you're doing well. So that's the first horseman that, that Gottman lists up. The second one that he lists is called defensiveness. 
So after criticism has entered in a relationship where someone now is not, they're not at complaints, they're now criticizing, there's an automatic defensiveness that takes place. So in our case study with Eric and Pamela, um, they both felt victimized by the other and neither one is willing to take responsibility to make things right. But they're both constantly pleading innocent. Neither one is taking, you know, taking ownership and that just added fuel to the fire. So defensiveness essentially sees yourself as the victim. You feel like, well, I'm, I'm the victim, they're, they're, they're the problem, I'm, I'm the one that's innocent in this. And what you do is you deny responsibility, you make excuses, um, you shift the blame. I like to think of it as like the old Karate Kid movie. If you remember Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi, he, t- he tells uh, Daniel's son you know, how to, to wax the floors. He say, wax on, wax off, and he, and he does the paint defense. And, and so Daniel's son learns how to defend himself and how to resist all the punches, and he's just... Pew, 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 and he does all this stuff. And see, this is what happens with defensiveness. Somebody brings something to you and you're like, whack, 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 whack. It's a, and what you're doing is you're deflecting it and you're deferring it and you're even, it, you're even turning it back on your spouse. Um, so one of, the, one of the things you can do is you meet one complaint with another. And defensiveness in this way is really just an underhanded way of blaming your spouse. When you're defensive, you're just kind of blaming them. You're like, well, I'm not to blame. You're, you're the one that's to blame. And it's refusing to admit wrong. Or it's a refusing to take ownership of whatever your problems are. And the antidote for defensiveness is really throughout Scripture. But Jesus, um, he brings this up often. But it's basically to accept your responsibility for your part of the problem. This is where um, when Jesus talked about the, the speck that's in your eye versus the log that's in the other person's eye. We are so eager to see the log, or I'm sorry, I got it all wrong. The log that's in your own eye and the speck that's in the the other person's eye. We're so eager to see and point out the things of other people, we're not willing to take ownership of the big problem that we have. But when we take ownership of the big problem, what that does is that just kind of pours cold water on the fire. And and that, that puts the fire out and now people are able and they're ready to talk about it. The third thing that he lists, this third, uh, this third horseman is actually the one that they're able to tell. Um, this one is the, the, the easiest detector of, of what's going to lead to divorce, and that is contempt and disrespect. Um, so by their first anniversary, Eric and Pamela still hadn't resolved their financial differences. And unfortunately, their fights were becoming more frequent and personal. Pamela was feeling disgusted with Eric, and in the heat of one particularly nasty argument, she found herself shrieking, Why are you so irresponsible? And he's fed up, and now he's fed up and insulted, and Eric retorted, Oh, shut up. You're just a cheapskate. I don't know how I ended up with you anyway. So this is just one year after deciding to get married, after saying I love you and having all these great feelings, and now to the point where they are at the, the, the stage of contempt. And so how this evolves is, is simply, you can see how it works. You start with a complaint. Somebody gives a complaint, a complaint, there's this complaint, there's this complaint, but it never gets addressed as a complaint, and it never gets addressed, the person doesn't deal with it. So after a while, they move from a complaint to a criticism. Because, well, if a complaint didn't work, maybe I'll criticize. Maybe I'll just get right at them. And for whatever reason, there's this criticism, criticism, criticism. And there's defensiveness, defensiveness, you know, wax on, wax off. And, and they're, they're constantly deflecting until finally the person moves from the criticism to contempt. Uh, 
And so contempt is, is basically an expression of superiority. And it comes through with like sarcasm or sneering or mockery. But the issue is now because they haven't heard this and they haven't made changes, you feel superior to them. You, you look at yourself, you look at them as lower. And so basically what you do is you talk down to them. This happens in workplaces. This happens in families. And it happens in marriage, unfortunately. I see the difference between criticism and contempt is really the intent to insult and to psychologically harm or abuse the other person. So it begins by, you know, your lobby, it's like you're lobbying, you know, grenades and throwing it at the partner in order to try to hit their sense of self-worth. That, that's what this becomes. But it's not just hurling insults. There are actually genuine thoughts that are happening now where uh, you're thinking he or she is, is stupid or he or she is incompetent um, and they're, they're just they're just no good and, and so you can see contempt through calling through name calling through um, rolling the eyes you, you know however that works um, sneering or mocking or even hostile humor and see at this point if you've reached this point in a relationship what, what happens is you don't even remember why you felt in love at the first place one of the things that uh, if you go to one of the marriage conferences uh, my wife and I went to we were gifted a marriage conference I think it was like our third or fourth year we were able to go and and one of the things they had people do was write a letter of love and remember back what was it like in the beginning how did you feel write it all down because there are some people that are at this place of contempt and they don't remember why they fell in love in the first place they don't remember any of that and so which means you you don't admire your spouse you're not attracted to them and the very center thing of your relationship becomes abusiveness that's the one thing you have in common now it's just abusiveness so this is obviously the opposite of, of what what the christian model is of treating each other with with honor and respect but but look at what paul wrote again let's re- remember this he said let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but only what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's the opposite of criticism. This is the opposite of of contempt. He said, let no corrupt word, only encouraging words come out. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is this idea of want. It's, It's the intent to try to do harm. And often it's, it's the intent to do harm through a, a secretive you know, way of wording things or, or, or doing things. But malice is this idea of, of just anger and, and sort of hatred towards it. And then he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. If you are a follower of Christ, one of the things that you know is, first of all, how ridiculously ugly your sin is. You understand how sinful you are and you cannot believe that Jesus Christ would choose to die for you, for your sins. And it's just the most amazing thing. But the fact is that that Christ forgave you and now he's commanding every one of us to forgive one another to that same extent. You remember the time where he says uh, to Peter, uh, Peter says, how many times should I forgive you know, somebody if they do wrong to me? Should I forgive seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. 
So you think, okay, calculate that out 490 times. But see, no, it says you have to do it just as God and Christ forgave you. So, so here's the question. What is your goal when you're communicating? When you're talking, when you're in a, when there's some sort of a conflict and you're communicating, what's, what's the goal? Are you trying to say, well, let's figure out the problem? Or are you trying to kind of get that zinger in? You know, say that thing that you know it's going to kind of push the button. And see, the, the opposite of contempt is, is where you create a habit. Where you're scanning the environment and what you're looking for is things that you can, you can praise and you can appreciate rather than things that you can um, put down or feel that you're superior to. So, um, you know, every week I try to think, well, what, what does this look like in my life? So, I, I come home on um, Sunday. So, we have, a, we have a chore chart in our house. Everybody takes on different chores at different times of the week and we rotate through so that nobody gets stuck with the worst chore, you know, for, for life. Um, so somebody has garbage, somebody has, you know, dishes, somebody has whatever it is. And so I, lots of times what happens is I will come home and Monday night is garbage night. And so if I come home and I see that the garbage is out, I'm like, oh, right, great. Somebody remembered to do the garbage. But if it's not out, I'm remembering, okay, we've got small group tonight. We've got to get the garbage out. So I come in and the very first thing that I'm scanning for is who has garbage? Who has garbage so that they can go get it out? And if I come in and, then, and there's like dishes or whatever, I'm thinking, okay, who has dishes? And what I'm doing is I'm scanning, looking for who can fix these things that I'm finding that are wrong. I am not scanning looking for things that I can appreciate. I am not scanning looking for ways that I can honor the people that are around me. Um, Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So are you looking for things that your spouse is doing right? Or are you looking for things that they're doing wrong? Are you looking for things that your kids are doing right? Or are you looking for things that they're doing wrong? In the, at the workplace, are you looking for things that people are doing right? Or are you just looking to see well, what, what they're doing wrong? Um, are you hoping to catch your partner doing something right so you can speak words of grace? You can speak words of appreciation. You're just looking, oh, I'm, I'm looking, what, what are the things that... Because, see, let me tell you what. If you're looking for things to honor them with, you will find it. You will. You, you can find all sorts of things. You just look for the little things that you can appreciate. You will find, you will begin to create a culture showing that you are grateful for the other person. So the question is, are you doing that? Are you, are you creating a culture of gratefulness? Showing that, wow, I, I so much appreciate you. And I, I'm so glad for all these things. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. See, you're, you're honoring the person at that point. You're, you're cultivating affection. You're cultivating respect. See, this is the opposite of, of contempt. This is how you stop contempt from ever coming into your household. Well, the last one I mentioned before, the last of the four horsemen is stonewalling. So back to Eric and Pamela. Eventually, Eric stopped responding. He was too exhausted from Pamela's attacks, and so instead of heated and poor communication, their marriage went almost to almost no communication. And Eric stopped listening to Pamela, and, and almost, that almost ended their marriage. 
And at this point, Pamela wasn't just criticizing Eric for finances. She's screaming at him that he shut her out and that he never says anything anymore. So stonewalling is simply just refusing to respond. Um, it's an emotional withdrawal from the content, from the, from the, from the conversation, from the conflict. And, and rather than working out your problems, you're just kind of, you, you, you kind of the glazed over look, right? Um, it, it's, it's when you're passive aggressive, you could be icy, you can be distant, disconnected, um, changing the subject. Somebody brings up the subject and you just kind of divert it towards something else because you really don't want to talk about that. So you're like, ah, well, let's, you know, let's talk about this. And you just you just change it. Or maybe the most obvious way would be um, walking away, having a conversation and just, all right, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm not going to talk to you about this. See, with, with these things, it's kind of like ping pong or tennis. You start off, you, you hit, you, you having a conflict or conversation, you hit the ball and you hit it back and you hit the ball and you hit it back and you hit the ball. But see, if somebody steps away from the table and they're always hitting the ball, they're trying to play and, and you, you know, you step away and you don't hit the ball, just boom, and it bounces on the floor. They're like, hey, come on. You can't have a communication when only one person is hitting the ball. And see, that's the way that this, that this works. Stonewalling means I, I'm done. And so one of God's commands that we just read. It's to not leave the conversation or the conflict unresolved. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And you know what this is saying? It's okay. It's okay to take a 20 minute break. You're in a conversation. Things are kind of getting heated. You're, you're kind of upset. It's okay to say, hey, can we take a break? Can we take uh, just a 30-minute break? I just want to go for a quick walk, and we'll come back. We'll talk about it. Just kind of simmer down a little bit. Um, but what is not okay is when you walk away completely. Just to, to walk away and, and to not work through it. And, and when you walk away from it, what, what God says is that as soon as you do this, that brings Satan into the mix. That allows a foothold for him to get into the relationship, to begin to tear it apart. You know, um, I know I know of uh, one couple, maybe more actually. I may know of a few couples who they would read this: "Do not let the sun go down on your wrath." And they, and they read that basically, okay, we're not allowed to go to bed until it's resolved. And so there's conflict. There's there's conversation. There's conflict, and you're not allowed to go to bed. It's one o'clock. Conflict still not, it's two o'clock, three o'clock. Oh my goodness, got to go to work at six. You know, and, and they come to realize, how about we put this on hold? We try to go to bed. We come back. We talk about it tomorrow. That's perfectly fine to do. This is not saying you ha you can't go to bed without working out the conflict. What it's telling you is, if you just walk away from it and you leave it, that's a problem. But it's okay if you, you're willing to come back and you're willing to, to work through it. And, and by the way, if, if you're married and one of you has a problem, both of you have a problem. It's not just the one person's problem. And, and so if you attack the problem, you're going to make progress against it. But if you attack the person, you, you won't. Well, since you're one flesh, um, every part of you is now interrelated. One person has a problem, you both have a problem. Paul said or, um, in 1 Corinthians, he says, that the hand can't say to the foot, because you're not a hand, we, we don't belong together. We're all part of one body. Matter of fact, when Paul was talking about it, he's talking about the entire church, that we're all a part of this. 
that when it comes to communication, when it comes to conflict, we all have to work out of these things. But when, when you're having a conflict, one of the things you have to do is you have to stay focused. What are you focused on? The problem, not the person. Focus on the problem, not the person. And, and sometimes what you have to do, and I know this from experience, is that you have to kind of interrupt yourself in the middle of the conversation that you're having and you have to apologize. Because you're, you're getting kind of heated, you're talking, and, and, you say, and then you say something and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And then you say, hold on, stop. I need to apologize right there for that one thing that I just said. Will you, will you please forgive me for that? Because, because that's going to bring this thing down. That's going to bring the, the conflict down to a manageable way. But sometimes conflict, you have to have a coach. And many of you know this. You've, you've had other people involved helping you coach through some of these things. Sometimes Shay and I, um, we would be focused in our... Um, we would be in our dialogue, in our argument. Um, we would get frustrated w- with each other. And this has happened to me a couple times, and it's a learning experience for me. Because she tells me, she says, Honey, right now what I need to know is that you love me and that everything's going to be okay. And I'm thinking, you need to know that I love you. Didn't I tell you I loved you when we got married? I mean, you know, you still need to know that. Um, But what she's doing is she's giving me a huge hint about what's underlying all of this this conflict. And what I need to do is I need to reassure her that, yes, I do love her, that do I, I do care for her. We're going to be together. God's going to work through this. Everything's going to be okay. That's what I've got to talk with her about. Um, sometimes the conflicts are, are small, and, and they're, they're like little things. That's maybe spending habits, although that could be pretty bad. But maybe it's something that you need some time alone. Or maybe it's a, a big conflict, a big conversation. It's like you want kids, but you, you're not able to have kids. And so do you adopt or do you do, you do different fertility treatment? And they're, they're huge. And you can't just flip a coin. You can't just be like, well, let's just flip a coin. And what you have to do is talk with the person and figure out, well, who, who has more at stake here? Who, to whom do the issues matter more? And you've got to start communicating and working through it. And sometimes you may have to ask somebody else to come in and, and to help you and, and maybe give you some additional tools. It's not a, it's not a bad thing to go and get some help with, with counseling. Um, main point. Let me just give you the main point underlying all this stuff. Uh, Paul David Tripp, he wrote a book uh, about marriage and it's called What Did You Expect? I thought that's a great name for a marriage book. What did you expect? He says, no positive change takes place in the marriage, in a marriage that does not begin with confession. What this means is that because we're all flawed, we're all um, damaged goods, we're all sinful people, the only way we're going to be able to improve our relationship, the two of us together, is when we're quick to listen, when we're quick to confess, when we're quick to apologize when we need to. Um, he, he also made a statement. I think this is brilliant. Healthy marriages, healthy marriages are healthy because they find joy in canceling debt. The reason why healthy marriages are healthy is because they find joy in canceling debt. What are they doing? They're forgiving just like Jesus Christ did for us. They're implementing the gospel within their marriage 
and they find joy in canceling debt from one another. Um, you know, for a lot of us, we need to relearn how to do this. All growing up, all of my years growing up, I thought um, I understood how to apologize. I did not. I would guess that there are many of you here who you do not understand how to apologize. I thought this is how you apologize. You said, I'm sorry. That's not how you apologize. Because what happens when you say, I'm sorry, the other person doesn't have to respond. If you have a problem with another person and you say, I'm sorry, it's a one-way deal. You, you, there's, there's no back and forth. Now, the other person may come back and talk with you, but they could just walk away and you'd never know really how it went. So there's two steps always to an apology. The first one is, I'm sorry. The second step is, please forgive me. You know what you're asking when you say, please forgive me? Will you cancel this debt? I'm in debt to you. I did wrong. I'm apologizing. I'm asking, will you please forgive me? In a sense, what you're pleading for is, will you do for me what Jesus Christ did for me? You're asking for that same thing. And see, so when they say, I forgive you, you know what they're saying? Debt is canceled. No more debt for you. We're not going to talk about this anymore. Um, it is gone. See, every one of us here, we all know how to fight. Every couple knows how to fight, but not every couple knows how to fight clean. So how do you fight clean? How do you communicate? This is how you do it. When you have a conflict, you don't, you don't do visual things or, or um, with your actions. You don't go run out and you, you slam the door or you throw something and then you walk away. That's communicating. That's just the wrong kind of commu- communication. Proverbs 15.1, the, the, the writer of Proverbs said, a, slow, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So how do you communicate? Well, what you do is you say, this is for your spouse. You say, honey, what you said hurt me. Now, if you're at work or if you're in the family or whatever, you just say, hey, what what you said was hurtful. That's the step. That's the way that you start to resolve it. But in a marriage, honey, what you said hurt me. Now, if you're the offender... This is where your marriage is either broken or it's saved and how you respond to that. If your your mate, they never assumed that you were perfect. They never thought that you were, you were perfect. What they thought is that you would grow. What they were hoping for is that you were improvable, that, that you would continue and you would grow. So how do you res- respond when, when, um, when you have hurt your mate, they let you know that, that they have hurt you. Uh, you know, where, where she says to me, you know, um, you've hurt me or I'm lonely or why aren't you? I don't feel like you're listening to me. You've got to listen with all of your heart. You know, when Shay has said that um, I have hurt her, this is what I have to do. I have to take my guns and I have to lay them on the table <laughs> like the old Westerns, right? You lay your guns on the table, hands up, I'm guilty. If if she's hurt by something that I've done, I have to say, I'm guilty. What am I guilty for? I may not even know. Okay, I I can't assume that I understand. But then I say, I'm sorry. And you know what happens when you do that? You begin the process of making up. Listen, um, making up is a lot more fun than fighting, isn't it? It's a good thing. God says, where, where sin increases, grace abounds. You know, he, he adds grace to this. When, when we do this, there is grace. Grace abounds in our relationships. 
So, so let me just try to bring some things back to conclusion here. Healthy marriages basically have two essential qualities, and neither one of these can exist alone. You have to have both of these. You have to have both number one and number two. You have to be, you have to be humble and you have to be approachable. Okay, so a humble approachability, um, that means that you, you have to lower your, your shield or your force field or, or whatever it is, and you have to be able to be approachable, that somebody can approach you. Um, secondly, you also have to be courageous as you show love. You have to be honest, you have to be courageous, and you have to be loving. That means there are times there are some of you who are conflict avoiders. Uh, you don't want to talk about it. You, you just say, well, I'll just pretend that it's not there. It's just going to go away. Um, you have to be courageous. You have to decide, uh, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say something. That means I've got to speak up at times when maybe it's going to be hard. Maybe it's an uncomfortable moment. Maybe there's some tension and you've got to speak up in your disagreement. So if you're, if you're really willing to listen to a complaint that your spouse has brought to you, that, that your friend has brought to you, what, whatever it is. Um, but in your marriage, if you're really willing to listen to a complaint instead of just kind of blowing it off, all right, and you're willing to examine and to take it to heart and say, okay, what can I do? How can I fix this? I will guarantee you that your marriage will flourish if that's the way you're responding. If you're willing to hear, if you're willing to, to listen. Uh, and, and I know it doesn't come naturally. When somebody criticizes us at work or at home, the very first thing we want to do is we, we just want to defend ourselves or, or do something back. And, and sometimes it's right for us to defend ourselves. Sometimes we're right in, in giving a defense. But you always have to listen first. You always have to be willing to hear it um, and to assess it before you cast it off. Um, you know, James 1.19 says... So then, my beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. When it says let everyone be swift to hear, it's not just talking about listening. Um, often when the Bible speaks of listening, it's also referring to now take what you've heard and put it into action. So in saying be swift to hear, what he's saying is listen with the intent that you're going to act upon it. Um, sometimes you know when you've crossed the line. You've crossed the line, you've acted in anger, you said something you shouldn't have. And what do you have to do at that point? Quick to confess. When the person confesses, what, what does the other person have to do? They have to be quick to listen. Let every person be swift to listen. There are very few things that will contribute to a strong relationship than two people who are willing to admit to their own sin. You have two people who are both willing to admit to it. That is something that is going to develop a more healthy relationship. Now, some of you, have you ever been a, done that thing where you know you've done something wrong, and so then you screw up the courage to go and, and to talk to somebody and to basically tell them and say, I, I've done something wrong, and you're ready to apologize. And as you're ready to apologize, your greatest fear happens. And they just jump down your throat. And they are, they're just judgmental. They come after you in a, in a judgmental way. There are few things that will crush the attitude of confession more quickly than, than doing that. So in your marriage, you, you can't do that. You cannot do that. I mean, when somebody hurts you, your first instinct is you want to hurt them back, but you cannot do that. Yeah, they stung you. You want them to feel the sting as well, but, but you can't do that. 
And so you've got to go back to, well, what did Jesus do? You know, as, as God in Christ forgave us, we're called to forgive one another. Not hold it over them. Not come right back at them. We have to, we have to be approachable. We have to be humble in all this. Um, so I want you to think about something. If, what if God were only a judge? Ryan was talking earlier about how God was holy, and that's, that's wonderful. He's perfect morality, but it's also somewhat dangerous, right? Because he's holy and we're not. What if God was only a judge? So we know he, he is a judge, but he's also merciful. He's also kind. He's also our Savior. But what if he was just a judge? Would anybody ever come to him freely and, and, and be like, I need to confess my sin to you? They, they, they wouldn't. They would feel like, I'm just going to get judged. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to experience pain for this. They wouldn't willingly come. But you know, Romans 2.4, it says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It doesn't say the judgment of God leads you to repentance. It doesn't say that perfectionism or the laws or anything like that. What brings a person to repentance is God's goodness, His kindness, His mercy, that He is always going to do what's right. That's what brings us to change. That's how we change. And so we've got to take the same principle of how God deals with us. We've got to apply it to our own relationships. And if you want to see your spouse change in a positive way, if you want to see you change in a positive way, this whole idea of judgment, criticism, you've got to cut that out. You've got to get rid of that. You have to be a person who, who meets confession with encouragement. When somebody confesses, yeah, it, it, could, be, it could be hurtful. It could, be, it could make you feel bad. But you have to say, well, thanks for coming and talking with me about it. You have to approach it in, in that kind of a way. Um, and so, by the way, how did God deal with us? How did He deal with our sins? When we come to Him, if you come to Him humbly and you confess. So First uh, John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We come to Him. What does Scripture say He does with it? Psalm 103, As far as the east of, is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. He has taken them and He has removed them. They're no longer in the forefront of his mind. Um, Micah 7 says very much the same thing. I love this passage. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Who, he, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities you will cast all our sin into the depths of the sea. You know what this means to us? It means if you're going to be like Jesus, there's no more being historical. You're not allowed to be hysterical and you're not allowed to be historical. There's no more going back. There's no more. There's no keeping a record of wrongs. There's no more lists that you keep to bring up in an opportune time, so that when that argument comes up, you bring up the list and you can say, "Yeah, but look at you," and da 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 da, that you can use against your spouse. If you're going to be like Jesus, eat far from the east, from the west. Okay, you've, you've got to go um, cast sins into the depths of the sea. They're, they're gone. They're, they're not looked at anymore. 
And, and if you are bringing up a list, what, you, what are you doing? You're trying to hold your mate hostage by the list of the things that they've done in their past. You're just trying to hold them hostage. You know, when, when Jesus was on the cross, there were a few things that he said. There were seven, actually, maybe you've heard messages about seven statements that Jesus has said on the cross. But you know what he didn't say? He didn't yell down. He didn't say, that. listen now, everybody. I'm up here and I'm going to die for your sins, but you just make sure that you don't do any more of this from now on, that you keep a clean slate. Because if you don't, I'm going to be bringing up everything you did in your past. He doesn't do that. It's gone. He paid for our sin completely so that you come to Him, you own up to it. What happens? You are forgiven and it's gone. That's the pattern for marriage. That's the same pattern in marriage. It's meant to be true, not only the gospel in the church, but it's meant to be in relationships. It's meant to be in marriage. Because of Jesus' forgiveness, we can be bold. We can totally own up to our flaws. We can apologize. We can forgive. We can enjoy each other. You know that our relationship with God, that He wants it because He wants us to enjoy it. Did you know your relationship in marriage, He wants you to have it so that you can enjoy it. He's given both of them to us. So let me just conclude. Healthy marriages, they're healthy because they find joy in canceling debt. They're not holding on to the criticism. They're not, they're not continually deflecting and, and trying to stay away from you know, anything landing on them. They're not moving into contempt. They're not going down to the stonewalling. What they do instead is they apply the gospel to life. And they say, this is how God treated me. So therefore, this is how I'm going to treat you. That's, that's as simple as I think I can make it. And this is how you communicate in marriage. This is how you fight fair. And this is what ends up strengthening your relationships. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as, I, uh, as, as we come to you today, first of all, we, we do want to recognize that you are holy, you are good. You're the one that has given us all these things, all good things. And so today, every one of us is involved in relationships. And whether we are involved in a, in a marriage where we, um, we're very grateful, and it's good and it's solid and it's growing, we thank you for that or whether it's hard right now and we're going through a time where we don't know how things are going to turn out tomorrow or maybe there are for some people that they're in the process of a separation or a divorce. And I just ask, Lord, that, that you would bring some of these principles back to them that it would be helpful to, to learn how to, to process through what you have told us to do in our communication that we would encourage one another, that we would be scanning our environment looking for opportunities to honor others, looking for things that we can admire and we can lift up. Lord, I pray for those who are not yet married or maybe they have been divorced, and I ask in, in whatever situations that they are in now that you would help them with their relationships, that they would draw near to you and that they would learn not just how to communicate but also how to deal with conflict in a good way. So, Father, we, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you have cast our sins to the bottom of the sea as far as the east is from the west. 
and that you have forgiven us completely. Help us, Lord, now to forgive one another to the same extent that you forgave us. Thank you for your love for us in Jesus. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see you again, Grace Point. I hope you have a great day. Those of you who are members next week, remember about the, the meeting, but you are dismissed. Have a good day.